Welcome to the pen and the yod. This is a Shavuot special where Rabbi Michael Siegel from Anche Emmet Synagogue in Chicago talks with author Jonathan Eig, where they try to pick a commandment, any commandment. Well, Shavuot is in the offing. This weekend, we celebrate not only the holiday of first fruits, but the giving of the Torah. And it is also National Blintz Day. Nice. I, uh, I always look forward to that celebration. Uh, Shavuot also reminds me because it's the uh, day my first daughter was born. Wow. Talk about a gift uh, from on high. It's wonderful. Well, Shavuot is a day of study, but it's also an experiential day when we stand in synagogue. And it's going to be challenging this year because the synagogue won't be open and we're going to be doing another streaming service. But we will, from wherever we are, be chanting the Ten Commandments, the Aserta de Brod, as if we were standing at Sinai. Now, we don't have the honor of Charlton Heston being with us, but it is uh, exciting nonetheless. So He could possibly join us by Zoom this time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I remember him saying that I think you'd have to tear these tablets from my cold... uh, Maybe it wasn't tablet. I don't remember anymore. (laughs) You might be mixing things up a little Uh, bit. It could be. It could be. As much as I know how much you love questions like this, it doesn't stop me from asking. Which of the Ten Commandments do you think is the most important? See, I, I always think you're putting me on the spot to uh, see if I know any of them. <laughs> That's how guilty right. I, I get on these questions. I get very nervous. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't want to pick the most important because that seems beyond my uh, capacity for judgment. But I, I will say the one that I'm always the most interested in, the one I, that I think is the most interesting to talk about for me anyway, is I am your God. Uh, you shall have no other before me. I'm not even sure if it's really a commandment. It seems like such a plain statement of fact that I, I find that interesting. Well, here I thought you were going to say, thou shalt read all of Jonathan Icke's books, but... Is, <laughs> is that, that is that one of them? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that, was one, that was one of the outtakes, I think. But uh, I think the first commandment is, of all of them, the most not the most challenging to keep, but the most challenging to understand. And so what is it about that commandment that draws you in? It, it's so personal. You know, it, it, first of all, it's, it sounds very human. Um I am your God, you shall have no other before me. But it also, um, it's covenantal, obviously. It sounds like a wedding vow in a way. It's not really asking anything. It's not telling you what to do. It's just stating this as, a, as if it's the baseline, as if it's the foundation for everything else you need to know. It's so interesting that you use the term wedding vow because that is exactly how the rabbis understand Sinai, that it is a the ultimate covenantal ceremony of God and Israel coming together as if it is a marriage, which is so interesting because it's not a covenant like a suzerain vassal, like the ancient covenantal treaty between a leader and his people, but a marriage. And so in the rabbinic mind, and by the way, the, the antecedents of this are in the prophets, in the rabbinic mind, Sinai, the mountain itself is the chuppah, and God and Israel, the bride and groom, and the Torah itself, the tablet, the Torah itself is the ketubah. So in a very real way, this is a very different type of covenant where God is presenting God's self in a very personal way. But it is a commandment to believe. And I guess I wonder to myself, can you command someone to believe in God? Well, that's the great question. Can you um, command someone to, uh, to believe that they're going to love their spouse forever, right? You know, I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. We make this vow, um, but then... 
things get in the way. Uh, life gets complicated and our feelings get involved. But that's why I, I said in the beginning when, when I was saying why this particular commandment interested me is because it seems so personal. It, it seems like, you know, almost like a plea that God is saying, you know, this is what we have to believe. Well, you know, when you were talking a minute ago, I just had the funniest association. I was thinking about that moment of Tevia in Fither on the Roof, where he says, do you love me? Uh-huh. And she says, do I what? And what follows is not kind of a romantic understanding of their relationship. You know, you had me at hello. She says, well, you know, for all these years, I've washed your clothes. I've done this. I've done that. It's all about the action of marriage, the action of love. So if you take that idea and you apply it to the Ten Commandments, then what you have to look at is this notion that God is saying, I brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's what you need to know about my relationship. I fulfill my promises. I stand with you. And so now we're in the year 2020. The reality is, is that as hard as our history has been, we're still here. We're still connected. We are still, we are, we're still a people. So God might say to us, and I'm still here today. So, you know, I'm involved. You're part of this covenant. You're the descendants of Abraham and Sarah. You're born into it. So rather than a command to believe, it's a commandment to enter the covenant. Yeah. And um, it's funny, you, know, you mentioned the song from Fiddler. Not only does it talk about the actions, but it also asks more questions, right? Do I what? Do I love you? And then it's like, does a prince ride in a carriage? I can't remember how it goes. Does the winter lead to spring? Do I love you? Right. It's always, you're supposed to ask more questions, right? The questions become rhetorical at a certain point. Right. But it's not the feeling. The love is, I know you love me by the way that you act towards me. That's the power of that's right. So then then my question is, what's the purpose of the commandment? Why doesn't the commandment say, I am your God, you will worship me? Why doesn't it include a command? Is it unnecessary? I think we have to, to answer that question, I think what we have to do is to, we have to look at the structure of the Ten Commandments. And though you might think that they're somewhat disparate and that there's no real connection, there is. Because if you look at the Ten Commandments as a whole, the first four commandments are all commandments what we would call ben adam lemakom, between people and God. And the last five commandments, commandments like don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't covet, all of those are ben adam lechaverot, between a person and their fellow. So the first four commandments are between us and God. The last five are between us and our fellow. Why is that structure there? And it is a reminder to us that the reason that we don't take another person's life because God commands us not to, because human beings have a remarkable ability to justify their actions. Why don't we steal? Because it is a commandment not to steal. The basis of our moral code is based on our belief in God from the Jewish perspective. There are universal rights and there are universal wrongs. And without my belief in God, it is very likely that I will cloud the waters and rationalize things that shouldn't be rationalized. Well, that's getting into some of the biggest issues that we can get into. You're saying, if I'm hearing you correctly, is that the first commandments are, are foundational. They're setting the terms by which we live. The reason that we don't commit crimes, the reason we treat our neighbors and honor our parents is because we believe in God, because God is 
is our God. And you have to accept that first before the other rules make enough sense, I guess, that, that we can't be trusted to follow those other rules without well, I, I'd rather foundation. start where you started, that the, what determines our relationship with God is what's going to determine our relationship with each other. And unless we can see the image of God in another person, unless we can see that a person has universal rights, including a right to their property, unless we can see that there is, we our relationship with God is going to determine what our relationship with other people are. And there are boundaries in those relationships that would apply to things like adultery, etc. Those ideas are from the Ten Commandments perspective, all joined together. So First, we're told that it's a matter of accepting the relationship. I am the Lord your God, and what God has done for us, we need to acknowledge. But things like don't take God's name in vain, we should speak in a way that acknowledges God. Don't make graven images, right? We shouldn't create visual ideas or make them with our hands touch to create an idol to try and control God. So the reality is, Jonathan, that all of our senses are brought to bear in terms of our belief in God. And that's the power, I think, of the structure of Torah, that the relationship with God is one of action. God takes action and shows that I'm in the relationship, and then we're expected to take action to show that the relationship is what determines how we live in the world. Does that mean that the Sinai experience wouldn't work through Zoom? Um, and is that partly why we need to even think about these commandments being, you know, handed down on tablets that we need to engage the senses? We need to, to see these facsimile of the tablets, you know, hanging up on the wall to believe that this is something that was truly handed to us? No. In fact, I would argue that it, Zoom works. And the reason I would say that is because if you think about Jewish history, first of all, Sinai is not even in the land of Israel. Sinai is outside of the land of Israel. It's in the wilderness. So in a sense, anyone can accept Torah. But our history has kind of blown the Jewish people to the four corners of the world. And as a result of that, we've taken the Torah with us. We've taken the relationship with us. We have continued to say, I might be angry with you, God, but you're still the Lord, our God. And I see you in history. I'm still here. And all of that kind of leads through our senses to a awareness of God that's going to be expressed in action. I like the, the idea that it's the action and it's the senses. Um, these are, you know, classic storytelling devices. You know, I always tell people when they write, you have to engage the senses. You have to make the reader feel like they are there, that they can smell and see what's going on. Because we are asking people when we read and when we read Torah, we're asking them to imagine, to put themselves into another world, another universe. And here we're asking people to try to imagine God, to try to feel his presence and to obey his commandments. And that takes work, right? That takes real effort. I love what you're saying. And I want to show you that that exact idea is built into the Ten Commandments itself. Because if you look at the structure, as I said earlier, the first four commandments are between people and God. The last five commandments are between people and their fellow. The bridge commandment that takes us from our relationship to God to our relationship with each other is honor your mother and your father. Honor your parents. And that's remarkable because just as God brings us into the world through covenant to as a people, our parents bring us into the world. And so without that sort of hierarchical structure, 
where we honor our elders, we honor our parents, the whole structure begins to fall apart. You can't honor God, the rabbis are going to say, unless you honor your parents. Because it, it doesn't work if it's only about God. You know, I'll keep kosher, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll keep the ritual. I'm going to be kind of a moral disaster outside of that. No, it doesn't work that way. It has to be through relationship. What's the most intimate relationship in our lives when we're growing up? The relationship with our parents. And so you can see how that gets translated into relationship with other people. Yeah, it's great. It's it's like a pulley here, I think, because the first commandments are telling you why you have to behave morally. The second set of commandments are giving you specific actions that reflect back and enforce the strength of your belief in God, that the, the actions you take reinforce your belief and help you observe the first commandments. Am I getting that right, you think? I, th I, th I think I think 100%. And all said and done, if I take seriously the first four commandments, then I will also see, when it comes to murder, I'll see the image of God in another person. When it comes to stealing, I will see that all things belong to God. And if a person really has the integrity of their personhood, then they should also have the integrity of their possessions. And that God is watching in this, and God is part of this equation. So you start to see how they all kind of come together in this very powerful way. So let me just shift for a second in conclusion. Abraham Joshua Heschel once said that if in tomorrow's New York Times, the headline was, archaeologists have found the Ten Commandments. They were digging, and they found it, and they see these tablets that are glowing with this mystical light. And there is no question that these are the Ten Commandments that Moses received at Sinai. So Heschel then asked the question, do you think people would follow them then? What's your answer? My answer is... Uh... I hate, I'm always the cynic. You always make me the cynic. I, I, I don't think it really matters. Actually, I, I think we have enough information now. I think we have enough information now to decide for ourselves whether we want to believe. It's a choice. And I don't really believe if, you know, if like the movie with George Burns, you know, if God showed up, would we change our behavior at all? I think he's already, you know, God has already shown up. I feel like it's just, you know, with all respect for Heschel, I'm not sure I see the value in the question. See, I, I was with you until the very end of what you said. I actually, you know, I actually think that there is, no, there is value in the question from my perspective. Okay. And the value is a reminder that it's not the physical tablets that matter. It's what you said at the very beginning. It's the relationship that matters and that we carry in our hearts. But that's something that we have to, um, to take seriously. And as we go forward in life to understand that there is a structure to these commandments and the ability of people to rationalize their behavior is as old as Adam and Eve. So how do we create the guardrails? Well, it begins with a relationship with God in something higher, that there are universal rights and universal wrongs and build from there. I wish you and your family a very happy Shavuot. And, uh, I'll see you, I guess I'll see you at Sinai. Thanks. <laughs>